from the very beginning, this league has been very progressive and had recognized this idea that it's more than just basketball and that there's an inherent need to invest in community. And, and I use that word in the broadest sense. Welcome to another edition of the Columbia University Sports Podcast, The Cusp Show, where we talk about the business of sports and media, teams, disruption, innovation, forward-thinking cause, all different kinds of things. Uh, I'm Joe Favorito, flying solo as we are in the middle of August, and my co-host Tom Richardson is off doing fun things on this Friday, the 13th of August, we're recording, which is actually National Left-Handers Day, for people who didn't know. Uh, and one of the ridiculous trivia things that I've seen this week is that six out of the last 12 presidents are left-handed other than the fact, and, which is interesting because only 10% of the U.S. population identifies as left-handed. So, so anyway, but we are going to talk about creativity, uh, cause-driven programs, how especially two leagues that we're going to talk about today have really taken it on themselves to make sure that people understand who they are and the good that they can do well beyond a basketball court. Um, and our guest today is Allison McCauley. She is the SVP of Team Services at Monumental Sports Entertainment. But the two brands she really concentrates on and the two that we're gonna talk about are the Washington Mystics. And we haven't done a lot of WNBA, but now it's appropriate as the WNBA, here we are in the middle of August, coming back uh, from their Olympic break, just starting this past week. And another league which we've touched on but really haven't done a lot about, uh, which is the NBA G League uh, and the Capital City Go-Go and how they fit into the community. Uh, so, Allison, welcome to the Cusp Show. Thanks very much. Glad to be here. And uh, I feel like flying solo, you'll do just fine. <laughs> I'm looking yeah, I am. Um, usually what happens when I fly solo is I say hello and keep quiet for 35 minutes. And then at the end of it, I say goodbye. Anyway. Um, Allison, before we get to your, your present job, can you walk our listeners through kind of the interesting path, or definitely an interesting path, uh, undergraduate, grad school, several degrees, but also how you kind of got to where you are in this very unique role for two growing brands? Sure, yeah. Um, I, I love to think about sort of the tie that binds between um, jobs that you have and sort of the career that you craft as you go along. Um, and sometimes it's just really like unintended opportunities. Um, I started off thinking I really wanted to be in politics and geopolitics. And I had this vision of myself working at a think tank and, and sort of being involved in diplomatic relations. And um, after an undergraduate degree in political science, I was fortunate enough to earn a Fulbright grant and I went over to Morocco. And when I came back, I had the opportunity to do a PhD at my home state university of University of Massachusetts at Amherst. And I was thrilled with that opportunity and jumped right into to coursework. And I quickly found that um, the coursework and the theory of how the world should work was very different from what I had just experienced in my time in Morocco. Mm. And I expressed that frustration to my advisor uh, at the time, a, a wonderful, extraordinary man by the name of Jerry Malore, who was the head of the political science department. And he happened to also be a baseball fan. Uh, he actually was one of the owners of the AA professional team that was in Hadley Mass that eventually became the Harrisburg Senators. 
and he using his own you know personal finances and and sort of a lot of personal time decided to create a course called the Jackie Robinson experience which was going to teach undergraduate students the history of politics and history through through Jackie Robinson's life and it was team taught by political science history African American studies and then this department called sport management and I met the lead uh, faculty member from that department, um, Bill Sutton, and said mm. something really crass at the time to sort of say like, well, is that the, is that the major for um, the football players? And he said to me, you know, you think you're so smart. Why don't you come sit in on my MBA class and you tell me if you think they're, you know, dumb jocks. And, and I did, I took him up on the offer and went and sat in on the class. And I felt like I had this extraordinary epiphany in my life, like, I had been a sports fan and an athlete up until that point, and I had never really thought about the business of sports, and I just became hooked. And much to Jerry's dismay, I left the PhD program and went over to do my MBA with Bill in the UMass Sport Management Program, and that sort of set me off on my path. Um, I left grad school going to work for a small agency in Kansas City uh, called MAI Sports. And I very quickly found myself leading um, what at the time was a nascent business for them as uh, an interactive subsidiary. Hmm. And I had a personal bend in technology. You know, my mom had, had worked in the technology business at um, Digital Equipment Corporation, which is now HP. And, you know, I just, I got to sort of see the beginnings of um, what digital sports marketing would look like and, and really loved it. It happened a little bit too early for me in my career, and I didn't think I wanted to stay in Kansas City for my whole life. Um, and so I took an opportunity to go out to San Francisco to help start corporate partnerships for Charles Schwab, who at the time was just a sports media advertiser and sort of wanted to see what that would look like to, to really get into the discipline of, of partnership marketing. And so helped them you know, build that uh, with investments in the PGA Tour, Champions Tour, the Olympic movement through US ski and snowboard and, you know, some local properties like MLB, um, like the San Francisco Giants or um, the head of the Charles in Boston and things like that. I left Schwab um, at the downturn in the economy and really wanted to sort of explore a different side of the business and went into the sporting goods manufacturing side. Again, a small sort of startup environment to a brand that wanted to bring sort of athletic performance technology to the equestrian space, which I didn't know anything about, but learned a lot through that um, and, and found that it was really interesting, but not sort of where my passion lied in terms of sporting goods. And so while I was trying to decide what to do next, I was actually contacted by a former colleague from NAI who asked me to help out with a strategy project for Liberty Mutual. And uh, through that project, they sort of came up with this idea for how to leverage sort of an interest in youth sports and the Olympic sport movement. And little did I know that that idea would sort of launch my own agency. Um, so, you know, uh, thanks to Liberty, um, you know, I started High Five Marketing and, and um, ran a business for 14 years that really specialized in helping Fortune 1000 companies develop a partnership marketing strategy, negotiate those partnerships and bring them to life, um, oftentimes with a digital bend to them. 
And I loved it. Um, our clients were just fantastic. We got a chance to work in really some interesting spaces. Um, but my wife got an opportunity to, to work for the National Institutes for Health here in DC. And it seemed like a natural opportunity to kind of think about what the next step would be. And the opportunity came about to, to get involved with Monumental, um, which is you know just an extraordinary business, really um, very forward and progressive thinking, very technology oriented, but with two franchises that really appealed to my entrepreneur and intrapreneur kind of um, background and passion. And so, yeah, I, uh, to your point in the introduction, got involved with the WNBA Mystics and the Capital City Google. So before we talk about your, your present uh, day job and causes and, and how that's really played out in the bigger brand picture, what was it like when you decided to jump into your own business? Because a lot of people always say, oh, I want to be, quote, an entrepreneur. I want to work for myself. And you, you had a little bit of a base to start with, obviously. But what was that experience like from when you started to 14 years later when you exited? Um, I loved it. Uh, I, I think anybody who's done it will tell you it's the hardest job you'll ever have. Um, and I think there's a lot of people who, who dream about owning their own business or entrepreneurship because they think it sort of gives them a sense of freedom. It does, um, but it's also just, you know, you, um, you own a hundred percent of the responsibility and, and there's a lot that comes with that. Um, I tell people all the time, I feel like I was a little bit of an accidental entrepreneur because I didn't set out to really start my own business. I think where it came from was that I was so passionate about this idea that I had come up with and then a vision for what I thought real activation for, for partners should look like. Um, you know, coming from the agency side and then, you know, being on the sponsor side with Schwab, I just really felt like there was a lot of missed opportunity in the marketplace for brands to really seize the opportunity with sport partners. Um, and I just couldn't let go of that vision. I just really felt like I wanted to bring that to life. And I think that was really what drove me to, to create the framework of High Five to, to bring those ideas to the marketplace. And at the time, I think, you know, just, had clients who were very eager to do it differently and to do it more in depth and um, really see a bottom line business result. So they were passionate about the vision as well. Um, so I think the strategic plan came after the doors were open, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, which is probably like backwards from the, you know, the B-School recommendation, but um, it worked. And I think it was very client centric, right? Like the services were what they needed, not what, what, um, what we thought, you know, mm -hmm. to happen. And um, just one other question on that. What was more emotionally draining for you, starting the business or folding it up? Ooh, both were in very different ways, right? So starting it was really um, a little bit of, of a leap of faith, right? And you're really nervous when you go to do that um, and you hope that that you can make it a reality. I mean, I bootstrapped my business, so I wasn't in a position where I was worried that I had sort of put some huge sum of money on the line. And I really, um, I was committed to the idea that I would bootstrap it, that like, that I had to find the money before we sort of spent it. Um, but it was, but it was a lot of work and very emotional in the beginning. Um, it was very emotional to, to say goodbye to it as well. Um, I think, 
you know, I had gotten to the point where I wanted to do something different. So I was excited about the other side. But I think anytime you sort of close the door in a chapter, there's a little bit of sadness to that. Um, I'm super proud of the work that, that, that our team did over 14 years. I mean, the portfolio of, of work is just extraordinary. Um, and I think, you know, we had a really good opportunity to um, bring all of the folks who had worked um, on the brand over the 14 years together to really like celebrate that. And that helped close that chapter um, with, with grace, I think. Cool. So closing with grace now on to the place you are right now working under the umbrella of one of our favorite people, Ted Leonsis, visionary thinker um, on the basketball side, you know, an ever evolving business, although the mystics have, you know, have an NBA, a, a recent WNBA championship under their belt, but are known really for so much more. Um, really have two of the four NBA pillar businesses in the G League and the WNBA, and you throw in the NBA and 2K. Um, how did that come about for you? Um, how did it kind of fit into where you wanted to go next? How did you know it was a good fit? And then let's talk about kind of, you know, the overnight success, 25 years in the making that the WNBA has become off the, off the court and where that's going to go to kind of get started. You know, how it, how it came to be was, I think, how many people find their next opportunity, which is networking, right? So um, a dear friend of mine um, who our paths crossed when I was in Kansas City at the beginning of my career was Hunter Lockman, who was the, a, a, our chief marketing officer yep. at Monumental. Um, and so when I came to DC, was really sitting down and sort of saying like, what's the landscape look like? And tell me a little bit about what Monumental is like. Um, I think all the right fits, I think, happen in, in your career when you do a great job of networking and people know you and sort of know the skills that you can bring. Um, I'll also say it was some really interesting conversations with Jim Van Stone, who's the chief revenue officer mm -hmm. for Monumental to really learn about my own background and passion and uh, for him to have a vision for sort of a role that I could fill for the company. So it wasn't like there was a job that was posted for this. I think it was really um, he and I just talking about what he was looking to do with the business and then what I was interested in and the skills I could bring to the table. Um, so yeah, I, I think what immediately attracted to me uh, was this idea of this like build culture, right? So throughout my career, I think the, the tie that binds has been building something um, and really scaling businesses. And so um, I saw an opportunity with both of the and the GoGo to be able to do that. And I really like the idea of working on both of them. I think they're, um, while they have some similarities to them, they're very distinct businesses with very different trajectories, both from a league standpoint and also within the monumental family. And so I liked the opportunity to kind of be involved in, in two distinct elements of our business. Cool. So let's start with uh, the Mystics. Um, tremendous success, obviously, on the court, especially in recent years, but landmark movement in all the things that have been important to people's lives in, in the past 18 months. <clears throat> You've been a big part of that. Tell us a little bit about the Mystics, the pillars that they stand for, how the business has grown, and what it can do in a global city like Washington. 
Yeah, I mean, I think what's really interesting about the WNBA is the recognition that it received in the 2020 season for its stance in social justice. But um, for those people who haven't been following the WNBA, that's actually been core to their DNA since the very beginning. So, you know, 2021 is the 25th season. From the very beginning, this league has been very progressive and has recognized this idea that it's more than just basketball and that there's an inherent need to invest in community. And, and I use that word in the broadest sense, you know. So, um, you know, if you look at the history of league, you know, someone like Cheryl Swoops, who came in, in in the inaugural season and played six weeks after giving birth to a child and brought the issues of, of maternity leave and women's careers, um, you know, and, and balancing motherhood to the forefront right away. And, you know, she led the charge again when she was one of the first um, high profile athletes to come out as a lesbian. And really the league um, wrestling with the idea of where does LGBTQ plus equality fit into, you know, the, the overall league DNA. Um, you know, our, the players have really led the charge from the very beginning. Um, you saw people like Simone Augustus from the, the Minnesota Lynx dating back to 2012, who was advocating against a ballot measure that would have made same-sex marriage, um, you know, unconstitutional in the state of Minnesota. And seeing that she had the power to, to sort of marshal people uh, against that ballot measure or you know, 2016, where we had three WNBA teams who wore black shirts in pregame warm-up and ended up getting fined by the league. Um, so the teams got fined and the individual players got fined. Um, Tina Charles, who's today a Washington Mystics at the time, was a New York Liberty and, and was very public about saying she refused to be silent um, and, and she wanted to use her platform for change. Um, Many of your listeners may be familiar with Maya Moore, who stepped away from what is arguably a Hall of Fame you know, career to work on issues of American criminal justice reform. Um, on the mystics, you know, uh, Natasha Cloud has been, has been advocating not only for social justice, but for specific issues like gun violence reform and, and, and sort of awareness of what's happening in our communities with the real um, epidemic of gun violence, or Elena Deladon, you know, who leveraged um, her own personal insights about her sister to really fuel an effort around disability and disabled athletes. Um, so it's always been in the DNA. I think it just came into focus for people in 2020. And, and um, you know, I, I think a lot of people want to talk about Colin Kaepernick and sort of the beginning of some of this. It dates obviously back much further, you know, like John Carlos and, and the Olympic Games was such a visible moment of protest in that sense. But, um, you know, I think it's, it's core to who the WNBA is. And I think it's really core to who the mystics are. When you're centered in the nation's capital, I think you have a really interesting opportunity to be greater than yourself and make an impact for, for change. So, you know, in 2021, um, we rolled out a program or a, a, a platform called the District of Change. It's an obvious play on the District of Columbia. And for those people who are in our market, you know, the district is the, 
the way we talk about the city. Um, and so we wanted to be the district of change, the center point for where we think change can happen. And we wanted to focus that change in four specific areas. So to really advocate around gender equality, around racial equality, around LGBTQ plus equality, and around a fourth pillar that we talk about that's um, a socioeconomic equality, the idea that um, education and economic equity is really important to our community. And so, you know, those four areas represented areas that we were passionate about from a brand standpoint, areas where our um, athletes were passionate, where our ownership and Ted, um, you know, certainly been a leader in this with his double bottom line approach. But um, really, that's been the guiding principle for us. So it's about obviously you know, championship caliber basketball, but then it's taking that platform that we're afforded thanks to that amazing basketball and really create change in our community and, and make it hyper-localized in terms of, you know, the district. Think about it regionally in terms of what we call the DMV, so District, Maryland, and Virginia. And then how do we leverage, you know, being in the nation's capital to create change greater than ourselves, um, you know, and, and affect all of the country and potentially internationally. How, um, uh, before we, we switch to the G League and the GoGo and the parallels there, um, I would say, you know, we, we've said this on, on this podcast for, for quite a while, but if you went back a year ago, January, and you went up to companies and then you said, where does cause marketing and social responsibility fit in your structure? They probably would have said fifth or sixth. Now, especially, you know, in the last year since March, 18 months, not only, especially when you're trying to deal with a younger audience or a more diverse audience, people want to know what you stand for, but what are you doing about it? So how have brands, if you can think of some examples, or even not-for-profits or the arts, played into the, the DNA of what you're trying to do with the Mystics? Has it been easier, uh, more engaged, less engaged, uh, people left? Uh, especially given the fact that, you know, we're in, still in a pretty unique environment where, where COVID is and how many people can actually go out and actually do events. So has it helped or, or what have some of the different differences been? Yeah, I mean, I would argue it's helped our business. Um, and I know that that's not universally true across the sports industry, so I can only really speak for, for our business. But I think it's absolutely helped, particularly with the WNBA. Um, I would argue that brands who weren't thinking about social responsibility before 2020, we're really missing what I think was a pretty um, strong trend that was coming from millennials in particular who were powering a sea change around putting social responsibility and social activism as a core element of the brand. And I think that's not just in a public facing, you know, marketing campaign. I think, you know, millennials in particular were insisting that their employers do more than just produce the widgets, um, but that do something good for the community. And they were looking for that when they were looking for their employment opportunities. I think they were certainly using their purchasing power and, and beginning to harness their purchasing power. You know, it's like $1 trillion or something in, in spending power. I think they were trying to harness that um, towards brands who were supporting their, um, their desire to see something greater than themselves. And certainly, you know, their media focus and, and influence, you know, you've got like a consumer base of 80 million that, that are really like 
pushing on those topics. So, so, you know, to your first point of like, if that was low on someone's list, I think they weren't really paying attention to that consumer set that was coming. I think where brands have really um, enjoyed the affiliation with the mystics and with the WNBA as a whole is that that's an authentic position for us with some real um, proof points and some activation in communities that matter. And again, broad sense of community. So whether that's a target segment that you really want to be involved with and you want to have an authentic conversation and be a part of that conversation, I think we look for ways to be able to do that or a vehicle to be able to have that conversation. So if you're a brand, for example, that really wants to have a conversation with the LGBTQ plus community, I think we're a great place to start that conversation, to get an introduction, to really understand the issues, to deliver real value to that community, to, to hear back from that community, what needs to change in your own business to be more um, sensitive to the, to the issues that are at play. So I think brands have really looked for that authentic connection and storytelling, and they find it in brands like the Mystics. Um, and you just can't find that other places, right? I think we really own um, in such an authentic way the conversation around gender equality and equity, the, the, the issue of racial equality. I mean, we have an 85% of our league is Black women. Um, so if you really want to be in our space, like, you know, you're going to have an authentic conversation in our, in our space with our fans, with our players, you know, with our front office. Cool. So you've got um, the summer and the WNBA and the Mystics on and off the court. Uh, you now transition a little bit. Let's talk about uh, the GoGo, the G League, obviously still in transition, growing, nowhere near the maturity of the NBA or WNBA. Um, tell us about the difference in the business and how the business of the GoGo run. And actually, take two seconds and explain the name of the GoGo and what it means for people who may not know who aren't from the district. Yeah, I love the name of the GoGo. So, um... Gogo is a genre of music that is um, that was created in DC and really is kind of the, the um, beginnings of modern hip hop music, right? So there's just a lot of, of collective DNA there between Gogo and what you see today. And the name was really an homage to, to that genre of music in the city. Um, and the G League in general is really a space for development, right? So from a player standpoint, it's a chance for young players to really develop their skills to be able to make it to the NBA. It's also a space for our front office staff to really hone some skills and, and to be able to um, build on their professional development. It's also a great space for experimentation. Right, so it's developmental and all the different kinds of things you can do in sports, and I think that's one of the reasons I love it, is that you can try different things. Um, if your listeners followed the G League prior to the pause for the pandemic, we were experimenting with a different free throw structure um, to try and reduce the amount of time that a game would would take. And so being able to experiment with even things like rule changes like that is, is quite fun. I mean, I think that's the innovation of the sport is going to come from the G League and from efforts that teams are making there. Um, 
for the go-go even, you know, we've tried to do some really interesting things to, to lean into that experimentation. Before the pandemic hit, we actually took away all of our courtside seats on one side and created a whole lounge experience for fans to actually be able to consume the game from a very different seating configuration and different kind of interaction with the court. Um, we also sort of brought our worlds together a little bit by bringing the NBA 2K game actually into the arena. And mm -hmm. so you could be in the arena and you could play 2K using the developmental mode and play the go-go versus the Delaware blue coats while that actual game was happening on our court just below. And so that was sort of a fun um, opportunity to kind of bring two NBA family teams together. Um, we actually did a whole bracket challenge in our arena where the eventual winner got to play one of the guys from Wizards District Gaming on our team and sort of, again, bring those worlds together. So, um, so I think the spirit of, of innovation and experimentation is really important to what we're trying to do there. I also think, you know, going back to this idea of, of purpose-driven sport, um, we really see the go-go as an opportunity to be hyper-focused hyper um, in communities east of the river in Washington, D.C., so in wards seven and eight, which has traditionally been some underserved areas in Washington, D.C., and where our new arena and practice facility are based, and really have the go-go be the hometown team of those neighborhoods, right, and feel very close and connected to the players, the team itself, the front office, everything that we're trying to do with that team. Um, so, you know, we're about to tip off the 21-22 season in November, and I think you'll see us really try to do a lot of very localized grassroots programming with this brand, all in support of, of the, the parent affiliation with the Washington Wizards, right? So when you come out to a logo game, you're starting to see the future of the NBA and the Wizards franchise specifically. What's, um, what's when, when you talk about both franchises, what's the most common thread that you see between both from a business perspective and what's kind of the demarcation point? Hmm. Um, well, demarcation, I mean, I think is actually probably easier to answer. They are very distinct businesses, right? So, um, I, you know, the WNBA stands on its own as a growing league and, and our franchise within that is just um, seeing tremendous results and, and, you know, really has a, a, a long tail trajectory for, for growth. Um, the G League is really, you know, in partnership with the Wizards, those two work, you know, hand in hand. So there isn't that same sort of similar affiliation on the Mystic mm -hmm. side from a business standpoint there. Um, the, the tie that binds is that they're both playing at the same arena. They're both really in, um, in this desperate need for scale and growth, um, not just from a business standpoint, but from, a, from an overall like media interest in what we're putting out in, a, in an opportunity to kind of grow the sport, to engage with community. I, I mean, I think it's like our list of opportunities for both of these are far long. I mean, our challenge right. is to prioritize those opportunities and to try and seize the best of them. Um, 
But I, I think it's actually really interesting. The two teams share a staff and it's a little bit of like left brain, right brain work that you end up doing in terms of like how you think about the mystics is very different than how you think about the solo. And you get a chance to really um, to have a very like broad perspective on the business of sports when you work on both of them. Cool. Um, Allison, before we let you go, there's two questions we like to ask all our guests because a lot of the people who listen to this are either transitioning into a new job, which you've done to, to great success in various places, um, starting out, or trying to kind of figure their, their, uh, their way along. So what advice do you give to people who are in those type of transition places? And then you touch so many different areas whether it's on the business side, the basketball side, the men's basketball side, the startup side, how do you stay constant with everything that you need to do to do your job? So the advice and where do you go for your stuff? From an advice standpoint, the advice I give to everybody, um, and I think it's probably really influenced by my own career story, is if you get the opportunity to work in an agency to really take that opportunity. Mm -hmm. And it may not be the, the most, profitable choice that you'll make, right? So um, it may not have the highest salary, but what I put money on the fact that it's going to be one of the most valuable stops you'll make in your career, because you see how different brands with different business objectives take the same sport marketing opportunity and leverage it. And they'll leverage it in lots of different ways. Um, and I think you just, you see a lot in a very short amount of time. And I think you become a better participant in our marketplace when you've walked in the shoes of both sides, right? So when you walk mm -hmm. in the shoes of the partner and you've walked in the shoes of the property, no matter where you end up in the ecosystem, I think you'll bring that learning to the table and you'll just make smarter decisions about the programs or the activations you'll put in place or the opportunities. So um, that's always my advice is like, you know, mm -hmm. the, the opportunity in an agency is just priceless in my mind. Um, right. And then how do you stay, how do you stay updated? Um, it's tough, right? So I'm a big podcast fan. Um, and I'm not Great. just saying that because I'm- No, I'm always interested in hearing what people listen to. Yeah, I'm, I'm a, just a big podcast fan. I use my commute times for, um, to listen to podcasts. So I either take DC's Metro to get to work or um, I sometimes drive and no matter what, I'm listening to a podcast. And I like to listen to a variety of topics. So I don't just listen to sports kinds of things. So I'm listening to just general business and news kinds of things. I listen to entrepreneurship programs or psychology programs. Um, like. I, I just have a ton of stuff downloaded and I'm constantly trying to listen. And um, an ex-Forox uh, person told me one time that like the best idea was rip and reapply, but there are really mm. interesting ideas from other industries that if you just tweak and apply to yours, become revolutionary. And so it's like sort of listening to all that kind of stuff. Um, I'm also a really big fan of Blinkless. I don't know if you've have heard of that. No. But it, they basically profile bestseller, nonfiction bestsellers in about 15 minutes. Um, mm. And I love it because I get a chance to sort of hear a little bit about what a book is about before I decide to like dive into it. I feel like you don't have enough time to read these days. And so, um, yeah, I, I listen to a lot of the summaries. And then if I love the summary, then I just, you know, I go right from Blinkist to be able to go buy the book and it's on my Kindle and that's what I'm 
I'm reading. So um, I just downloaded like the hidden psychology of social networks as something that I want to kind of get next. The idea of like what connects people and, and why they get passionate about a brand and then start to be an influencer and an amplifier. Um, so yeah, it's like, uh, I think it's just trying to be like a consumer of lots of information. And so I try to do it in like bite-sized chunks with like whether it's voices or, or podcasts. Cool. Last question, which I, I was just thinking about. You know, this is a 24-7 job. You have teams operating in different seasons, but there's crossover. How do you balance the time between the two brands? That's like a million-dollar question. Um, you know, I think we're, we're very digitally oriented as a group. So um, we use Microsoft Teams, and we were using it well before the pandemic, and we try to really kind of use our di the digital tools that we have at our disposal to kind of keep ourselves on task. Um, and, you know, it's everything from like really good project management and calendaring and things like that. Um, it's scheduling out really important inflection points when you sit down and you build a strategy for each respective season. Um, sometimes it turns into like very tactical kinds of things like it's Mystics Monday for the sales team and it's really focused on Mystics on Mondays and, and then, you know, Global comes in on Tuesday or something like that. Um, I think our entire team, top to bottom, is is really working hard to kind of straddle those two. Um, when you're in season, you may think that that's like the inflection point, but it's actually also the critical planning time for the other team and for the future season of, of the team that's in season. So I oftentimes tell people, I think we're balancing three things at once, current season, you know, opposite team season, and the next season strategy. Um, it's a challenge. It's definitely a challenge. And I think it takes all of us kind of pulling together to, to remind ourselves to balance that out and, you know, keep the good dashboards in front of you, keep the good tools in front of you to sort of remind you to stay present with each of them. Well, good luck with that. <laughs> uh, anyway, hey, if you have this any is, tips you want to send my way. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah. I don't know if I'd have be able to give them out without any color, but I don't want to do that right now. So anyway, um, so uh, Allison McCauley, once again, SVP of Team Services, especially with the Washington Mystics and the Capital City Go-Go, two businesses which we think, even though, you know, especially WNBA has been established, the best years are ahead of themselves. The entrepreneurial side is ahead of themselves in a city that is becoming more and more important in the global landscape. You have your pulse on two really important pieces of innovation and fun. Uh, thanks for joining us on the CUSP show today. Uh, and we really look forward to, to following both leagues, both teams, and everything else going on at Monumental as we go forward. My pleasure. Thanks for the opportunity to chat with you. And, um, and I just always really enjoy our conversations and appreciate what you guys are doing. Cool. Well, once again, uh, our guest has been Allison McCauley. I'm Joe Favorito for Tyler DiBernardo, our producer today, uh, and my co-host in absentia, Tom Richardson. This has been The Cusp Show at Columbia University. We'll see you down the road.
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of $15,178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.